Uh, last several weeks, uh, we oh, actually happy Lunar New Year. Say about money about this year, right? You guys have done that. Um, this morning, I was at my friend's church because Thursday night, I got a call from one of the leaders of that church saying the pastor, my friend, went in for a regular checkup, and then things happened. Had to go to the emergency room. Had to have a last minute surgery. So it was it was wild. So I just came back. I was I actually came back at like two twenty five. To be here, um, so let's take a breath, take a moment, and can can I pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Um, Lord, we thank you for this afternoon, as we celebrate holidays. Um, it's for some of us, it's a wonderful time with family. For others of us, it's not so great spending time with family. And I don't know where everybody's coming from. Some are. Extremely energized from break. Some are extremely exhausted from their break. And Lord, just next 25, 30 minutes, would you speak to us? Would you use um, your word to speak life and encouragement and challenge? Holy Spirit, do more than I could ever do on my own. We love you. We thank you. Just let me pray. Amen. Last several weeks, we have been looking at the parables of Jesus. What are parables? Parables are stories. Stories that relate to everyday life. We've been looking at the parable of two builders talking about foundation, what does it mean to build a house that can withstand storms. We talked about, last week was about talents, investment, and what the master demanded from servants, which was a very common theme in that season. And one of the reasons Jesus tells stories is because stories are powerful. Anyone love stories? I love stories. What is Netflix? What is Disney Plus? They're telling you stories. Stories that move our hearts. Right? It would have been easier if Jesus said, stood before the crowd and said, here are 10 rules. And it would be much more efficient, much shorter. Who doesn't like shorter sermons? Right? Much direct. But, but Jesus understood Without the stories, our hearts would not be moved. So we're looking at third parable in three weeks. This parable, we find ourselves in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. In this story, we find a parable, a very common theme about farming, which was very common to people at the time, the original listeners. Let me read for us Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 8, and then... It's a little secret as a preacher. This is probably the easier sermon to preach because later Jesus gives you the interpretation. Jesus explains each what these things represent. So uh, that's a little easier for prep. You don't have to assume what Jesus is thinking. Let me read for us Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 8. Let me give you the parable and then we'll go through the interpretation of what Jesus is saying. Again, he began to teach besides the sea. He being Jesus. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was besides the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables, again, stories. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some fell along the path, and the birds came come and devoured it, came and devoured it. Next, next page. Okay, I'll read from my Bible in one second. Um, next page, next slide. I don't have the slide. It's probably my fault. Hold on one second. 
One second. Let me go to Mark 4. Now I don't have it. Can someone read for me, actually? This is right. Oh, right, right. Okay. I'm sorry. Rushing here. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. It yielded no grain. And the other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And Jesus says, let those who have ears, let him hear. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So this whole parable if you could describe this parable, what do you think this parable is about? What's the goal of every farmer? To have beautiful plants? They love the waking up early and the toil. What's the point of farming? It's to produce what? Produce? Produce crops. It's to be fruitful. The whole idea that Jesus wants to tell us is that Intentional listening, intentional heeding, putting Jesus' worth into practice is what is required for you and I to be fruitful. So the idea is faithful, f- fruitful life requires faithful listening. Fruitful life requires faithful listening. Yuna, you can go to sleep now. <laughs> we're, we're, we're greeting and Yuna said, I'm so tired. That's the main point of the sermon, okay? If you guys had a rough weekend, it's, it, I, I give you permission to pray for me, all right? Because so much of the focus of Sunday or the health of Christian congregation is reliant on preaching. We spend so much time listening to preacher preach. Or the preacher's ability to unpack God's word each week. We all want thought-provoking, not too teachy though, thought-provoking but not boring, engaging yet not too emotional where you make me uncomfortable, passionate but not yelling, don't yell into the mic, 30-minute sermons. I know I do when I'm not preaching. Really, I, when, I, when I walk into a church as guest, guest and just worshiping, if preaching's bad, I'm just like, okay, I, I, I gotta get out. I can't do this. I know that's what you think when I'm like not doing a good job either. We need good preaching. And it is my burden, weekly burden, and joy, not just myself, but the elders. Elder Charles will be preaching in a couple weeks. It is our joy to toil through the material and be faithful to the text to help you, right, grow in Christ. So we need good preaching. I'm not arguing for bad preaching. Well, guess what? Here Jesus says, it takes two to dance. I mean, you can dance alone, but it takes two to actually really dance. We need not only faithful preaching, sowing of the seed, we also need fertile ground. We also need faithful listeners. Of God's word. Again, farming was central to Judean life. And it, prov- and, and, and it was really one of the main ways people provided for themselves and their family at the time of Jesus' teaching. And in the story, a sower goes out to plant same seeds. It, notice the story doesn't say different seeds. It's not like the first person at, at, at a, grade A seed, second person at grade B seed. It was everybody had same seed. Same good quality seed. So much so, when it fell on a good soil, it bared a huge crop. crop. So the the seed is the same, 
only difference in the story actually is what? The type of the soil. It's the type of the ground on which these seeds fell. And Jesus tells us in his, in his interpretation, because his disciples are like, what was that about? Jesus teaches. Jesus is like, let me tell you. He says, each of these soils, the pathway, the, the ground with the rock, the thorny ground, they represent condition of people's heart when approaching God's word. So let's go through each soil, and we'll unpack what each soil represents. The first soil, in verse 4, it says, some seed fell among a walking path. So if you're walking on a path, after a while, it becomes, the ground becomes hardened, not soft. And when, it, when, when the sower sow the seed, what happens? Because the ground is hard, the seed is exposed. And birds immediately come and they eat the seed. Verse 15, Jesus' translation, we are told... These birds represent Satan who keeps us distracted. We talked about distraction, I think, a couple weeks ago, right? The idea of being so distracted, living in a city like Seoul, we're always distracted. Well, Jesus says it's not only life's distraction. Satan, whenever God's word is preached, he is going to distract us. Have you ever wondered why Monday morning you're like motivated? I'm going to do... I'm going to do my devotional every, every day for the next 10 days. And first thing you open up, you open up your Bible, your phone's, go, your phone's going off. You start thinking about all the things you need to do. Satan loves to distract us from God's word. C.S. Lewis writes a very interesting novel, a fictional book called Screwtape Letters. I've talked about this book many times here. And in, it is a collection of fictional letters written by a senior demon named Screwtape to his nephew, Wormwood. They're both demons, and Uncle is trying to teach uh, his nephew how to be a good demon, how to lead people away from the enemy. Enemy in the book is God. Uh, And the letter offers advice and guidance on how to tempt and lead human soul away from God. So it's actually a very interesting piece. And in the book, uh, C.S. writes... As this novel, he, this, the, the uncle tells the nephew this about prayer. This is about prayer, but I think this relates well to our time in God's word. And he says this in the book. He tells his nephew, it's funny how humans always picture us, demons, putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Our best work is done by keeping things out. Even right now, as you are sitting here drinking your nice drink and, and you know, just relaxed. No, you, could, you can still drink. It's okay. No, no, no worries. Satan will do just about anything to keep us distracted. Bring to mind an argument you had with someone this week. Bring to mind a project at work, distracted by even the most insignificant things like sound of the preacher's voice. Why does he sound so husky? Like, what, what's with Tangmin's voice? What's with his shirt? How come he's not buttoned up? Does he not care? You may be distracted by little things. Someone sitting in front of you, right? You're like, they gotta fix their shirt. I don't know, whatever. Satan will just do just about anything to keep you from God's word. This is, this, is, this is what Jesus is saying. Which means every time you and I enter this space to hear God's word, there is a battle. There's a fight for your attention. The classic book, The Art of War, 
It's classic. Confess, I never read the whole book. I skimmed through. It's a really long book, okay? Um, but one of the things, Sun Tzu, this Chinese general, he talks about, he gives you all these rules about battle, how to, how to actually battle well, right? And he's like, the whole book is like, the best way to win is not, not fight at all. I mean, those things, right? But one of the things he talks about in the book is knowing your enemy. He's like, if you know your enemy and know yourself, you can actually go to battle in full confidence. Sometimes, as Christians, we are totally unaware of enemies' activities in our lives. We're just walking into battlefield without being prepared, without knowing Satan wants to keep us distracted. So Saturday night, we're up till 2.30 a.m. watching something, thinking, hey, next day I'll go to church, I'll stay awake. All right, Pastor Sangmin's drawings will keep me awake. Not true. We are not prepared. Things that we engage before service. We come really late. We just make, I, I just made a church today. We just make it to church with all of different thoughts and different things. And we're just sitting here hoping to hear something that will be challenging. Yet perhaps maybe our hearts are not prepared. Perhaps we need to come a little early to sit before the Lord. And the sanctuary is open to say, Lord, would you calm my heart? Would you help me not to think about these things so that I can focus on your word? So let me pray for us right now. I want to pray right now because I know this to be, to be true. Lord, we just pray that you would silence the voice of the enemy and schemes of the evil one so that we can walk away hearing your word today. Help us stay awake. Jesus, let me pray. Amen. I've just contradicted myself. You guys go to sleep, but stay awake. Um, Second soil, rocky ground. I drew the illustration for you. If you look at the Greek, it's not talking about ground with many little rocks. It's actually talking about a a land that underneath a thin layer of soil, there is a huge bedrock preventing the seed from taking what? Taking roots. Um, So from the top, it seems like a great pot of land. Yet one problem, there's a huge rock, which makes it impossible for the seed to penetrate the soil. And so Jesus says about this soil in verse 16, so when the seed is planted, it grew instantly because there is a thin layer of soil. It's a good soil. Yet it had no roots, no foundation. Verse 16, and these are the ones ones who, when they hear the word, receive it with great joy. You love the word. Yay! Like, Like joy level energy, right? Like great. Yet because they have no root in themselves, when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, they immediately fall away. We spent a whole sermon, I think three weeks ago, on this idea of foundation. When I talked about sampung, pekwajam, all that. So I'm not going to spend too much time on this idea of having proper foundation. But notice, one thing I want you to notice in the text, Jesus does not say, if the storms arise, if trials come, if persecution arises, if things get hard, if life takes an unexpected turn. It's not if, but it's what? Everyone say it with me. One, two, three. When? When tribulation comes, when persecution comes, when our faith is challenged. Because when we are committed to following Jesus... I don't know what you've been told before, but I'll tell you, it doesn't get easier. All right, once you sign up 
to be in Team Jesus doesn't mean you're not going to face any hardships or difficulties. May I present to you the book of Job? We have a whole book of someone who has gone through immense of difficulties being faithful to God. That's when tribulations, when persecution comes, which means, friends, our commitment to following Jesus carries a profound cost. It, it's going to challenge you. Choosing to lead a life that's counter to the prevailing culture at work, at home, at school, what, what, the media, it's going to cost us something. Right? We may even be criticized, mocked, excluded by our coworkers because of the way we choose to follow Jesus in the way we work, in the way we study. This is why 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Peter says, what about trials? He says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What is the basic human response to trials? Basic, every Christian's response to trial? It's like, why God? Like, you're surprised. Because deep down inside, we assume if we follow Christ, and if we're obedient and, and we're good son, good daughter, shouldn't life become easier? Shouldn't things work themselves out? Doesn't God love us? And Peter says, no. He says, don't be surprised. Yet so many times, I know I am surprised when kids get sick, when there's drama in the church, when... Out of obedience, I felt like I followed the Lord, but things didn't work out the way he felt. Because again, I assume, Lord, I'm following you. I'm serving you. I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. This, shouldn't, this stuff shouldn't happen to my life. So whenever we face hard and difficult experiences of life, especially against the word, often it's not faith that comes out, but it's what? It's doubt. It's mistrust. Sometimes it's bitterness and anger because faith is not easy. Faith is not easy. Doubt is easy. Complaining to God is easy. Demanding answers from God Almighty is easy. But faith is difficult because faith requires maturity. And maturity requires what? How does someone mature? How do we mature in life? Trials. Faith requires maturity. Maturity requires trials. Listen to Pastor Michael Bates. He says this, Affection and suffering have been appointed by God. He's not saying all. Many. As instruments he uses to make us more holy, to make us more like Jesus. They remind us, the suffering, the, the, the trials we face, that we are, when we are weak, that we are weak and we must rely not on ourselves but on Jesus. You know, almost six and a half years into, you know, following the Lord in this church plant, there's so many things that I've experienced first, like for those first three years, that 
I tell my pastor friends, they're just like, you've just went through everything you would have gone through in the whole career of being a pastor. Um, and I really hated that season. Like, it was so hard. Right now, I love our church. Like, like some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, people we have, like, so sweet. Before it was like, it was so tough, like planting a church and, you know, as a young church, not having elders and figuring things out. And I look back and I'm just like, I would never want to go back to that season. At the same time, I recognize it's through those painful seasons, God has really challenged my own faith. And really, you know what those seasons did there for me? I, I wish it could say it made me wiser and smarter and better equipped. You know what it did? It, it burned away my own self-confidence. I was an arrogant young pastor, not knowing what I was doing, planting this church. Really arrogant, thinking, oh, I could do it. I could preach. I could figure this out. I was so arrogant. And I feel like God gave me that season to show me, hey, you can't rely on yourself. So I think trials do a great job. And, and if you're like excellent worker, you're smart, and you do everything so well, be aware, right? I, I, I don't, I'm not cursing you, but be aware. Because if you don't learn humility, I think God will take you through those seasons. Because God wants us to be mature, humble sons and daughters, not just great at what we do. Hopefully you don't go through that. But, you know, that's, that's how God uses to train us. The third soil... Verse 18, and others are ones sown on thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the word, world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. These three things, cares of the word, world, deceitfulness of riches, and desire for other things, these are what? Innate human desires that can choke God's word from bearing fruit in our lives. So let's go over each one. The cares of the world. Jesus is pointing us to the worries and anxieties that consume you and I. Anxiety. We hear that word. It's like all of us in some ways are struggling with some type of anxiety. Anxiety is about the future. How will we provide for ourselves? Anxiety is about Job, anxieties about life, different type of health. What will we eat? How, what will we wear? How will we raise our kids? So worried that it consumes every waking moment of our day. Like now me being parents in this climate, I worry about my daughters. How will we raise them? In the city that is actually largely post-Christian, unreached, Right, with their beliefs and philosophies and ideas about different way of life. But parents, let's talk about parenting. Parents, because a lot of us are parents. Our primary calling, may I remind you, our primary calling is not to wholeheartedly love our children, but it's to wholeheartedly love God first and foremost. One of the most impactful pieces of advice I've ever received from people that I admire when I was when I first had Emma, my first daughter, was this. The most valuable gift we can give to 
our children is this unwavering, unconditional love shared between mom and dad. It's not mom and a child or dad and a child, but my mentors, they said it's about you and your wife loving one another and showing your children what it means to be in a healthy, loving relationship. That's the best thing you can do as parents because that lays the groundwork for shaping our children's perspective on what is love, what is actually, what are their values and relationships, right? These, these are things that, we're, we're, see, our kids are keenly aware. When you are just nice to your kids and obsessed over your kid and you neglect your marriage, our kids know. Hey, mom doesn't really love dad or dad doesn't really respect mom. By demonstrating kindness and unwavering love for one another, spouses, we provide our children with a blueprint for cultivating healthy, respectful, and loving connection for all of their lives. Conversely, if we fail to exhibit love and kindness between you and your spouse, it will have a lasting consequences. It doesn't matter how much your child feels like they're loved by one of the parents. We need to do that as parents, to love our spouse more and our kids will be okay. Amen? Amen, dads? Amen, dads? Amen, moms? Um, the deceitfulness of riches points, I mean, that's, Jesus is very clear, right? How wealth lies to us. Jesus talks about this lie of wealth. Promising what? What does wealth promise? the sense of fulfillment that he could never provide. Jesus talked, you guys heard this before, Jesus talked more about allure of money than any other temptation during his time on earth. In fact, this is the only vice, the love of money, not money, but love of money, this is the only vice Jesus said you have to choose. Are you going to serve your love of money or are you going to serve God? You can only have one master, you can't have both. Do you see the heightened importance of our relationship with how we love money? Why? Because at the core of our love of money, if you, it's this idea. If you have money, you don't really have to trust God. If you have money, we, we tell ourselves we don't really have to rely on God. There's a wonderful sermon I want to point to by Pastor Tim Keller titled, Why Money Makes Us Orphans. Fantastic sermon. Why Money Makes Us Orphans. And he says in his sermon, let me just give you a taste. I hope you guys look it up and listen to it. In his sermon, he says, money lies to us. Money makes us believe we can be rescued from our own sense of brokenness, whatever that is. Money promises that it will fix all that is wrong in our lives, in the world. It simply, we know, is not true. But we love believing that. We love trusting in that. And that's why he says money makes us orphans. We have a father in heaven who loves us, who says, birds in the air, lilies in the field, they do not toil or turn and spin, but God provides for them. How much more will God provide for you? But we say, no, we don't want... Providing God, we want money. Lastly, the desire for other things. If you look at the Greek, it's talking not simply about desire, like a positive desire. It's almost this idea of lust. 
lusting for things that God said, do not go near. That's the Greek sentiment. It's a lusting for things that, are, that God clearly said, this is not good. Sex outside of marriage. Ooh, let's talk about that. That seems so outdated and archaic in our culture. Like, Pastor, are you really going to talk about sex outside of marriage? I mean, everyone's in the app, the, the hookup culture. I mean, that's like the culture. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Because God has designed sexual intimacy to be a sacred expression of two people in covenant of marriage. God designed sex to be this wonderful thing in marriage. But once it leaves the wonderful garden of marriage, it, it, it becomes something that completely destroys us. And the scripture is very clear on the, the, the negative impact, how it damages our relationships, our identity, our walk with the Lord, physical consequences, emotional challenges, potential ramification for your future marriage. Yet many Christians treat God's call for marriage within, sex within marriage to be like, it's a nice advice. If someone I'm dating, if he's serious about it or if she's serious about it, yeah, I might, I might hold on to that. Not at our church. No, no, no. Sex outside of marriage is abomination to the Lord. And all those who are seeking godly marriages, some of you, you know, raise your hand, and don't raise your hand, okay? You, you are hoping, right, godly marriages. Do not compromise on this. Those who desire godly marriages that are already married, honor God with what you consume. Do not assume, oh, because the culture watches this or culture celebrates this. We can watch whatever the world watches. Keep your, keep your eyes pure before the Lord. But for those who have already given in in this area, there's always forgiveness. It's never too late. When I do premarital counseling, I ask them straight up. I'm like, did you guys sleep together? And they'll be honest. I'll say, hey, you know what? No worries. No worries as in there's forgiveness in the Lord. But from now on, you commit to the Lord. Or I, I can't do this premarital counseling for you. That's, that's what I really say. And I, I've seen just the beauty, how God uses that actually, your commitment, even after you have fell. His mercies are new every day, every morning. Yet again, mark my words, God will not be mocked in this area. All three elements in verse 18 are deeply interconnected. If you think about it, Jesus uses the, the third soil and the three things that he describes, they're interconnected. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus is pointing to the very battle that is raging at the turf of every human heart. See, when I talk about deceitfulness of riches, right, when I talk about the things that we, we've discussed, it's not just about other people. It's about us. All of us have desire for other things. That's why Jesus says all the other desires, even good desires, they're in competition with our devotion to Christ whether it's our pursuit of love, acceptance, identity, agency, control, what these things reveal is that we actually need a Savior who can actually save us because money cannot save us. 
Because sex cannot save us. Fourth and the final soil, verse 20, the good soil. It says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. The Greek grammar used for the verb to hear in verse 20, right? Every soil had this word hear, but just here in verse 20, it's, it's called akuosin. Okay, my, my Greek professor will be embarrassed to me. But it, it, this, the word here in verse 20 is unlike, unlike previous three. Three. Is she okay? All right. Previous three. Only here in verse 20, the Greek text has it in the present continuous tense. All other is past tense. Here, it's continuous present tense, which signifies a posture of active, attentive, alert listening. The highest quality of listening, different from previous all other soils. Soil number one, soil number two, soil number three is past tense. Here, it's continuous, active. Not one year in, one year out, but holding on to every word. And And Jesus says, if you do that, if you can hear this powerful word of God, he promises something almost too good to be true. He says, you're going to have 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. 100-fold. I mean, that's Apple money before iPhones came out. If you had iPhone stocks before, uh, before you had Apple stocks before iPhones came out, that, that's, that's the type of investment. I mean, 100, that's crazy. And Jesus says, that's what you will receive if my word is received well. But the whole time I've been telling you, we cannot hear on our own, right? Yet the central message of this parable is not contingent on our ability or inability to obediently follow Jesus. So the story of this parable is not, hey, some of you guys are good soil. Some of you guys that watch Netflix till 2 a.m., you guys are bad soil. You guys are not going to be here. No, the point of Jesus, the story is none of us can truly hear because we all have something that is in competition with Jesus in our hearts. What Jesus is saying is our ability or inability to obey and follow Jesus' words is not hinged on our own ability to obey God's word. The Apostle Paul, in his writing, reminds us very bluntly that we all have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3. That we are often distracted, afraid, divided, unable to come to the Father on our own. So what's the solution? What's the remedy? Here lies the essence of the gospel, the good news. And this is where we'll end. Jesus, the good soil. You see, what this soil is telling us is that Jesus is the only good soil. And Jesus, the good soil, who overcame every distraction. Remained resilient through every trial. Resisted every temptation. Satan himself took him to the desert and said, I'll promise you, give you the word. World, you don't have to go to the cross. You can just take it here. Bow down to me. And Jesus says, no. I'm going to be faithful. And at the end of his life, at the cross, a profound transformation occurred. Jesus, in his faithfulness, made a payment for our fickle, distracted, divided hearts. And there he has removed the obstacles presented by the birds, the stones, the thorns. Jesus has dealt with them for us. 
And through his sacrifice, Jesus has opened a way for us to receive a remarkable inheritance. When you think about the gospel and you think about what you have been given in Christ, it's remarkable. Only me? Is it just me? Isn't it amazing what we have received through Christ? And his victory becomes our victory. In him we find the ultimate solution, all that which kept us from living a life of fruitfulness. So as we conclude our time in in this parable, we are faced with an invitation. An invitation to embrace a transformative power that goes beyond our own limitations. It is an invitation to achieve perfect obedience. Because we will not. We will leave this room. We'll see a BMW. We'll say, man, that's amazing. We'll see whatever you like. We'll say, that's amazing. It is an invitation to achieve perfect obedience because we will not but a reminder that he has gone before us and therefore we too can go where he has gone. It is an invitation to walk with him day by day, to abide in him, be root in him. We find path to life that is profoundly fruitful only through Jesus. Amen? Let us pray. I have three topics that we want to pray through. I want to give you guys some time to pray. First thing, let's ask God for fertile hearts. Let's ask God's guidance in cultivating hearts that are receptive to his word. Every time we come to service, every time we open up the scripture at home, at school, at work, let's pray. Lord, remove distraction, remove hardness, remove obstacles that hinder our growth so that your word, your life-giving word can be planted in my heart. Let's pray together. Even now, let's pray together that Lord will plant his word in our hearts. pray for not only ourselves but even friends that we may have who are, who are facing uh, trials and tribulations let's ask for on our behalf and behalf of our friends ability to build a solid foundation in Christ rooted deeply in faith so that when challenges arise because it's not if but it's when that we can stand firm in him only in him let's pray for strength and resilience over our lives and our friends, our community. Lord, we pray, Father, make us resilient. Make us aware of storms, challenges, all that that comes our way. Make us open to what you're doing, God, in our lives. Lord, would you shake us from within? Would you shake
Let's also pray for restoration, whether it's our relationship with our spouse, whether it's the way we parent, whether it's the way we think about marriage. We talked about sex outside of marriage. Let's ask God's grace to cover us. Let's repent. Let's recommit our lives to say, Lord, we want to love our spouse. We want to love your word. We want to be committed to the truth. And we don't want to be shaken. We want to to honor you in holiness. Honor you in godliness. Not assume things. Can we pray that over our community, Father, we ask for your mercy, your mercy to cover us, your mercy to cover this room, mercy to cover all that we do, God, our lustful hearts, all the ways that we tinkle with your word and we say, well, this this seems like a nice advice. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you restore a sense of holiness in our community? Godliness will be what we model. And the world will see the salt and light, a church that is salty, a church that is a city and the light that cannot be hidden. May that be our gift. those who are in Christ, we are a new creation. And all those who run to Jesus, He makes us clean once again. Father, we run to You because there's nothing within us that can do what Christ has done for us. And in that reality, in that truth, Help us to be humbled. Help us to revere you, Lord, for fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. May there be healthy fear of the Lord in this body. And would you continue to wash us clean, not by our righteousness, not by us being able to follow all the rules, but because, Jesus, of your blood that washed us clean, would you wash us once again? Would you renew hope? Would you renew confidence and joy in this body, Lord? Help us to be fertile ground where you can do amazing things for your kingdom, for your glory. We love you. We thank you. Just in we pray. Amen.